0: to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Brazil and I have the incredible Mitchell Green here, me, here with me today on this show where I get to talk about sports, I get to talk about business, I get to talk about everything in between. Mitchell is a clinical and sports psychologist. I have a lot of questions for him. I'm excited to ask them, but first, Mitchell, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. I appreciate your flexibility with these technological snafus we've had um, working from home today, like a lot of people on the Northeast because of the snow and freezing rain. And I'm thrilled to be here with you. So thank you.
0: Well, I appreciate you being here. No problem with the technology. Um, I think I owed you one anyway. So if this is, if we want to count us, we're all even, we're good to go. I Fair. will absolutely take that uh, that, that uh, agreement every day of the week. So Mitchell, again, I'm very excited to talk about the the psychological, the mental aspects of being an athlete, what you've seen and how you've done it. But the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much?
1: There's, uh, there's a number of reasons. Uh, there is just, to me, a sense of aliveness that I can't get sitting behind my computer, uh, washing the dishes, taking care of the kids, um, uh, you know, walking the dog. Um, there's nothing that comes close to me. Uh, struggling with fellow teammates to my left and my right, ideally, trying to trying to win a game. Um, like a lot of your listeners, I'm sure, perhaps like you too, I have the fondest of memories being a younger person and competing. And even at the ripe old age, uh, in my beginning of my 50s, I still find ways uh, to challenge myself athletically, to push my mind and to push my body, because there's just no, to me, way I can feel more alive than Thing than in competition.
0: There is nothing like it. Uh competing is fun. I prefer really just watching and rooting along for my teams. So uh there's that aspect. I would say what I'm still doing, just got the email yesterday, uh beer league softball starting back up. So very I know it's snow on the ground, but hey, that's my competition. That's my fun. It's nothing wrong with that. Get out. Oh, enjoy yourself, right?
1: No, not at all. And that there's hope just to be with with your fellow teammates right and actually be be in proximity to them Uh, you know it's been over it's been about a year since anyone's really been able to do much of that
0: exactly and hopefully everything starts to shake itself out soon but you are right it is snowing up here in the northeast again um hopefully everyone down in texas and the southwest that isn't used to this kind of thing hopefully everyone's safe doing what they can to stay warm in all situations so crossing our fingers for all our brother brethren and sisters down there as well Absolutely. 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 So thank you again, Mitchell. I'm very excited. So being a sports psychologist, I'm sure you get a lot of random questions. I'm sure you get a lot of interesting ones as well. I came up with a few. I don't think they're too super, super random, but I'm definitely excited to have the conversations with you. Athletes, there's like an extra, you know, like, how do I want to ask this? So the, 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 the weight of a team or individual, you know. Obviously, we're watching some tennis. I don't know about you, but I've been watching some tennis recently yeah. with the Australian Open. So uh-huh. wake up early, make my coffee, watch. Uh, who was it? Uh, Nadal yesterday get uh lost. That was great, great match. But the the mental stress of an athlete is a little different. Obviously, everyone has stress every day at work. Most likely, if you don't, congratulations, you hit the jackpot. But what is what what have you seen in athletes, particularly? with the mental stress and, and with parents and putting the weight of a team and the, the weight of, you know, hey, like it's a high school team versus, you know, professional athlete or someone trying to go professional. How have you seen athletes deal with that mental stress in different ways? And how have you, I guess, helped them to correct, correlate, or clarify what they need to do in those situations?
1: Well, Michael, probably the number one reason people come and talk to me is because however you want to phrase it, they're feeling a ton of stress, right? They've reached the point where they, can't, they feel like they just can't go out there and play. They feel like they just can't go out there and compete. They've plateaued. Whether that's an Olympian I'm talking to who's trying to get ready for the for the games, which will hopefully happen in several months, fingers crossed, or whether it's a high school athlete who's trying to get recruited, trying to play at the next level, um, uh, or or it doesn't always have to be the most competitive athletes, but frankly, my clientele tends to be Kind of at the at the kind of the high end of competitiveness. These are these are athletes who don't need any help getting motivated, getting off the couch, uh, getting in the gym and working out. These are the ones sometimes we have to dial we have to help them dial it back rather than dial it than dial it up. My phrase for the stress is mind chatter. M I N D. In fact, that's the book I'm going to be I am writing and will be out later this year is on that subject. And by mind chatter, I mean. The conversation we have with ourselves, it's full of doubt, second guessing and negativity. And you're right. Whether you're an Olympia, Olympic athlete or a pro athlete or you're a high school athlete, everyone at some level has mind chatter. Or whether you're you and I who are average Joe's work work a day people who love to just, you know, get out there and play some ball. We're also going to experience mind chatter because at some point we care about our sport. Right. We care about our performance. We work hard. We train hard. And to not see the fruits of your labor, especially for those who are more competitive, it's terrifically and terribly frustrating. So that's probably the number one reason people come and talk to somebody like me. And it's with me that we begin to piece together, right, what's what's behind all this? Why have they found it so difficult to just go out there and play and to go after it? And that's because the mind looks for trouble, right? The mind looks for trouble sometimes. And it looks for trouble in a couple of ways. One is it looks... It tends to look to the future and takes us out of the present moment, right? It thinks about what could happen, what might happen, what will. It convinces us what will happen if this doesn't go right and this doesn't go right. The second you're sort of time traveling right into the future or you're worried too much about how the past is going to affect the present, you're out of the game, so to speak. So that's just one way that we try to kind of get after mind chatter is to try to get people to kind of pay attention to to the fact that they might not be actually focusing on the moment thinking so much about the outcome and the end result. And that's interfering with their ability to focus and play well.
0: It's uh, self-awareness is a superpower. Uh, I heard that quote somewhere. I don't remember who it was. It was some prognosticator on the internet and they Somebody, were 100. Uh, yes, <laughs> exactly. Somebody typed it into Twitter one day and then the, it, it made the rounds. But I have practiced self-awareness for the last few years. And it, it was kind of confusing to understand what even the heck like awareness is. Like I couldn't understand what I was trying to do until it finally clicked one day. And it was just under like literally listen to what you are saying. You know, one of my favorite quotes, um, and I, I usually butcher it, but, you know, pay attention to what you're saying to yourself because you're always listening. And I think it's extremely important, as you said, I, if I ever start thinking about the future in like a, just like a, a random way, like what could potentially happen or, or, oh my gosh, what if this happens? I do my absolute best to say, okay, I'm thinking about the future. This is 9,000% most likely going to be just completely and utterly wrong let's dial it back. Let's get back to the present. And what can we start to do focusing on right now to not let that, what I was just thinking about become the future. And so that's something that I try and practice on every single day. And I'm sure you help your athletes with this as well, because every time I think about the future, for whatever reason, nine times out of 10, it's negative.
1: Yeah. It's an enormous piece of the puzzle of what I talk to athletes about, but it's interesting, Michael, because athletes would say, to something like you would just say, they'd say, well, shouldn't I have goals, though? Are you telling me not to have goals? So it requires us making sure that we make some clear distinctions. I want my athletes to have goals, which are in the future. I want them to aspire to win. You know, we're working with a team tonight that's, you know, out to try to win the Big East in the sport that they're playing. You know, we want our teams to have big goals. We want them to be thinking in the future in that respect. But the problem becomes when we start to just get married to those goals And we don't have anything what I call sort of sub goals, sort of goals within the goals, which are the ones that you sort of are describing, I think, which is what do you want to work on every day? What is it that's going to kind of have you move up the ladder? What plus what plus what, you know, equals that big goal? A lot of athletes and it's true of even um, even our Olympians, you know, I was on with a call the other day because there's some trials now that are starting to happen, Olympic trials in some sports. Some are forgoing them and some are, are going to have them. Um, and, and this athlete who trains um, away from his family, away from his girlfriend, you know, lives a Spartan living just to try to hopefully make the Olympic team. And we were talking about the trials that are coming up over the weekend beginning of next week. And even athletes at that level need reminders that although they want to kick butt and, of course, they want to make the, their way out of the Olympic team, the more they focus on just making the Olympic team, the more tension is going to run from the the top of their head to the sole of their feet and the less they're going to be able to perform on game day or on race day. So in this case, I'm working with athletes even at that level to say, okay, you can't remember, you can't control the outcome. You know, if you could control how fast you would go, you'd always go as fast as you want to go. But of course, nobody ever goes as fast as they want to go. So how could we break it down? How do we break it down? How do we get into the controllables? How do we get into the small specifics? So uh, it's a, it's a great part of what I love about my job, because whether you're a junior athlete or whether you're at the top of your field, everybody needs reminders. Everyone needs reminders about how to set those goals, uh, how to look to the future as you're describing, but not get stuck in the future.
0: A hundred percent. It is very important to, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You can't, (laughs) You can't get all the way there in a day. Um, You you really do have to work towards it. And so one thing that people I'm always curious about, because I've seen it personally in my family, like my mom's had a lot of surgeries. Uh, She had a torn labrum. She had a torn meniscus. Like she's been going through a lot of stuff. And that obviously wears on you from a physical aspect, right? The actual pain. How have you seen, especially working high-level athletes like Olympians, who especially, you know, there's a extremely. I work with a lot of Olympians, too. There's an extremely small space of time where they get to take advantage and show the world what they're capable of. And now we're seeing that looks like 2021 is going to happen. But, you know, hey, we'll still knock on wood and cross our fingers whenever we can. How have you seen physical pain and physical, you know, unfortunate, you know, happenings way down on people, mentally adding, you know, not just the unfortunate nature of, Hey, I feel hurt, but then having that creep into the brain and really start to bring them down in those ways.
1: Yeah. So I want to answer that. But the first thing that it does come to mind, speaking of the Olympics, it's interesting. There have been, there are are more than several athletes, plenty of athletes have actually found the delay uh, of the Olympics to their benefit because they were hurt or injured and couldn't train the way they wanted to and had the trials happened or the Olympics happened when it was supposed to happen, they probably would have been out of the money there. And so, some uh, Emily Infield is just one per- particular person I follow, who's, a, who's an Olympic caliber runner, an Olympian herself already. Um, you know, talks about the fact that it was sort of a blessing in, in disguise because now she has a chance that she didn't otherwise have. You're right. I don't think anything weighs on an athlete more than being on the sidelines. It's lonely. It's depressing, and many can get depressed at 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 various levels. Being removed from your team, which is your sort of your social circle, as much as your, you know, your, your, uh, your, you know, your, your pals, um, uh, makes it makes it very difficult, and um, it's hard not to think catastrophically um, when when you're when you're out. And so, you know, there's two issues: there's being out, and then there's the comeback. You know, the, as you described, the comeback isn't as obvious as one might think. Is you know, you get cleared to play. It's not as if you just step on the field and you're going 110 miles an hour again. As much as you want to, our minds want to keep us safe. Our minds want us, are try to protect us. So while you're thinking, my doctor said, I can go make those cuts and I can go hard to the hoop, your mind is saying, what if you tear it again? What if that knee buckles again? Maybe you should wait. And it's very difficult and very challenging as part of what I love because if they don't go hard to the hoop, just to use a basketball analogy, you know, then they're not going to show up and play the way they're capable. If they don't show up the way they're capable, if they won't get the attention and the notice of the coaches or the people who they're looking to kind of help, you know, who they who they want to please to hopefully move to and get to the next level. So it is the game within the game with an injured athlete. Really is is about first getting them to just even be able to talk about it, because for a lot of athletes. It's very uncomfortable. It may not be their nature to share, because talking about injury and talking about fears brings up a lot of emotion. So really, for many, it's just getting them first to be able to talk about it and to normalize it, and then to feel the support of having a game plan that I could help them with, their coaches could help with them in a perfect world. The coach, myself, and the athlete are working uh, as a threesome to try to help them, support them gradually getting back on the field. and uh, and for some, knowing that they will still have pain and not associating that pain with injury. You know, there's a difference between being in pain and being injured. And uh, that's a fine line, right? Because you have that pain, there's the automatic thought, what if the injury comes back? I must be hurt. And being able to work through some of that pain and not associate with injury, therefore not holding back, again, is is one of the reasons people come and talk to somebody like me, which is... The, it's
0: hard to just do that on your own. And of course it is, as you say, it's very hard to just do that on your own. Because again, as you said, you're kind of just, it's just you and your thoughts still, right? Like it's not like sure. anything, anything else positives coming in. It's you thinking and most likely, unfortunately going towards the negative as as human nature is. How, like, what are some ways? And of course, everybody's different. It's very subjective. But what are some of the things that you do with athletes to help them overcome like that, yes, it, it you are in pain and you're going to be in pain, but you're not going to, you know, how do you, how do you help them break through those walls mentally to at least try and get them back to as close as they were before?
1: Yeah, there's a number of ways we go about it, but the, what I have found is one of the most powerful ways that I could intervene is, um, is having a cut, a discussion around confidence because one of the mistakes athletes make, and it's something, you know, that I'm writing about now in this book, upcoming book is, is that. They think they need to be confident in order to come back the way they want to come back. Um, And we know confidence is a big, an important topic with with sports and with athletes. But when you're coming back, the truth is it's really hard to be confident. And so what I don't want them to get stuck on is having to feel a certain way in order to make the cuts that they need to make in order to run, uh, you know, in order to sprint versus run. So one of, the, one of the sort of the mantras I have, it's actually something I had trademarked, is, is courage over confidence. I talk to them a lot about courage. You know, there's times where you just can't be more confident. And what it really comes down to is, is how courageous can you be in this moment? Because you can't, by definition, be courageous except in the presence of fear, right? Fear always precedes courageous action. So instead of looking at this as a confidence game, we talk about it more of as, a, as a courage game, which is every time they feel that fear or they have that thought, we want them to see this as an opportunity to be courageous. And, you know, sometimes we put it on a wristband. Sometimes we put it on their water bottle. Sometimes they write it on their cleats or on their wrists. So that's just one way is we try to reframe this as a instead of a confidence piece is more of a courage um, an exercise in courage. And I get them talking. What do I mean by courage? What do you think I mean by courage? You know, who in their lives has been courageous? Who do they see as courageous? What is it about that person that in their eyes makes them so courageous? And we really try to flesh out that conversation. So when they step out on the field, they try to sort of embody those, some of those people who they most admire. And they try to take on the attitude that they're going to have doubts and that, and that this is really not about having doubts. It's, um, it's about, um, and trying to get rid of them. It's about having the doubts and, and pushing forward anyway.
0: Yeah. And I think that's one of the most important things and really people in general, just everyone in life could be able to take advantage of this stuff, right? You don't have to be an athlete. If you're an entrepreneur, you're a business person, you're a salesman, any of those things like you could take advantage of what you're, 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 uh, you're teaching Mitchell. And I think that part is, is very important too. Don't, don't, uh, don't think we're pigeonholing anybody here. And I guess one thing that we've seen with athletes, um, and I've spoken with a lot of different people about this topic is overperforming. I guess is one way we can say it, but kind of not being ready when you are, a, you are in that final heat to potentially win the gold medal. You are in that big East tournament where you probably shouldn't have seen yourself in the championship game or you didn't expect it, but you're there now and kind of that adrenaline and that heartbeat and that rush. How do you then help athletes who you've given them all the tools to accomplish and get to what their goals are. Right. And then yeah. they get there and they're almost like, Oh no, they almost you know paralysis because they're, they're there and they didn't expect it kind of thing. How do you then help athletes and, and people again, in general kind of dial it back as you were saying, just to make sure that everything's back yeah. to even keel and we're smooth again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, one of the things that comes to mind is we talk to athletes who show who have to play on the biggest of stages when they get there, that it's that it's um, that even though they've been competing at a high level and they've competed in a lot of great tournaments and won a lot of matches or what have you, that when they show up, let's just say to the Olympic Games, that it's going to be the same. Of course, it's the same sport that they're going to be playing. But really, in some ways, everything's different. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, it's the same, but different. Right. So not to. Not, it's, you know, it's about expectations, you know, and, and talking them through, like, what to expect when you get to that moment um, where some people don't want to talk about it, you know, because they're, they're too nervous. If we can get an athlete to talk about what they expect, like, the environment to be like, what is it going to sound like? Who's going to come up to you? Who's going to need interviews from you? Who's going to be there telling you the kinds of things that you want to hear? And who's going to be there, to, you know, who are the energy suckers? Who are going to show up there? Who are going to kind of get you way off your mental game? So the preparation, in other words, is 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 as important as the execution phase. as the preparation phase? So we do everything we can with athletes to get them to rehearse in their own minds what they expect things to look like, sound like. Can we go online and watch previous competitions and see what it looks like uh, to hear the noise, to hear the chatter going on around them, and then. And then what kind of tools, including visualization tools, can we use so that they find that they can kind of stay in their own bubble when there's so much, so many distractions going on around them? The last piece I'll just mention, too, is, is, you know, most athletes, if not all athletes, spend most of their time training and not competing. Right. You know, whatever the numbers are, 80, 20. These days with COVID, it's, you know, 95 percent training, 5 percent actually In competition because of all the restrictions how can we use the training even though it's not the same and it's clearly not the same as being there in front of you know tv cameras or fans but how can we try to um, create an as-if atmosphere in the training so that we can create some pressure we can create some sense that if this was game day how would i want to handle it you know how would i want to come out of the locker room well you know what do i want to eat what would i be drinking you know what would I want to be thinking? So I, you're giving, a, I'm giving you a sense at least that the preparation piece from soup to nuts as best as we can, um, can help an athlete when they show up, they kind of already feeling like they've been there,
0: been there, done that, right. It's the, you know, the visualization that you have done it and you're there and you, once you, you're not as surprised anymore, I guess you could say
1: not as surprised,
0: anymore, which uh- I think is, Which is awesome. And one thing that we've been hearing a lot more of, especially with COVID, and we kind of saw it more so last year um, with the professional athletes and a little much, much more this year with collegiate athletes is the restrictiveness i guess so we saw it with the nba bubble right we had however many teams go there and then by the end the heat and the lakers were each there for like three months or whatever and they could only see one of their family members and they weren't allowed to go do x y and z and it's like oh it sounded great but we all know like that is essential it's essentially not jail like let's we're not comparing it to that but oh my god you are just stuck You can't get out. And if you leave, then you're in quarantine and this whole thing. And we're seeing it a lot now with college athletes, which I think is total BS. We actually recently just saw it with the uh, North Carolina men's basketball team. They went out to a college party like college kids do. And they were just videotaped without masks on. So the whole team had to shut down and everyone had to quarantine. It's like, I get it. But at the same time, like how have you seen or what have you heard from the athletes that you work with and how much more stressful and more difficult is this year because of all the restrictions and everything placed on top of, you know, especially these kids, how have you seen people, you know, struggling and, or dealing with, you know, these, these gigantic, gigantic ramifications?
1: Well, you know, I got chills when you asked this question because I, I, first of all, I have three, I have three daughters that are all in college. One's a collegiate athlete. Um, And uh, I work with so many of these athletes, as you say, college athletes. So I know both firsthand and I know professionally what COVID and the restrictions have done, athlete and and certainly non-athlete. But from the athlete point of view, you know, even coaches sometimes don't really realize and I don't blame coaches for this because it's there's so much they're trying to do. And so many coaches are doing such a great job um, of trying to do anything they can to keep the spirits up of their athletes. But this has been a tremendous burden. Even the piece that you just mentioned, which is I'm an athlete and my roommates and I are trying to stay and follow the rules, but my teammates aren't. Mm-hmm. And, and and you know, there's no rule book for how to handle something like that. On the one hand, you don't want to get them in trouble, but on the other hand, they deserve to be in trouble because if if somebody there gets COVID and then the whole team gets COVID, then we have no chance of of playing. So the mental health, Ramifications of of the stress of COVID, um, the stress with even within teams of COVID, and then of course of not playing. You know, my daughter, who's a collegiate athlete at the D three level, is uh, basically been out of commission for two years, um, not being able to compete. What she misses, as many athletes miss, she misses the competition, but she sure misses the teammates. She sure misses the camaraderie. She sure misses the locker room. Um, she misses the the joking around the team buses um, all of that is a really sen- a really big sense of loss uh, particularly for those who are graduating and may not have that experience again um, after college and so um, again coaches i think generally speaking are doing a fantastic job of trying to because coaches are hurting too they they you know coaches are are it's a thankless job sometimes and all they want to do is give to their give to their athletes, but they know there's only so much they can do. So at my group, we consult with a lot of college teams around the country to support the coaches and support the athletes and sort of talk about um, how to stay disciplined, right? How to come together as a team, how to still sort of work on some small goals. Um, a lot of the teams around the country also are taking on social issues as they're as a cause celebrate you know, that they can get around and give them a sense of purpose, uh, if playing isn't happened. So I could, I could go on and on. I hope I answered your question, but it is take, it is taking an enormous, an enormous toll, um, because the uncertainty of it all, um, you know, you and I sit here today and we really don't know when this is going to end. Um, and we're coming on a year, you know, essentially a year since the pandemic started. And, uh, uh um, You know, the the last thing I will say about this is, you know, people like the NBA players that were in the bubble and athletes all around the world. The fact that they're talking about how hard it's been, the fact that somebody like Paul George was able to say, you know what, I was out of it. I kind of got depressed being away from my family. Kevin Love, other athletes who are willing to share their struggles is certainly helpful to the younger generation who could see if they're struggling and they've got a million dollars plus you know it's okay that i'm not okay and and from from some of this i'm hoping becomes more enlightenment and more conversation about mental health and the in the need for us all to take care of each other and ourselves
0: it's the it's the best thing that can happen, right? Is just having these conversations and letting people. Yeah. I think when Paul George came out and said that, that was huge because, like, I don't know, like put put yourself in his shoes. Like, I don't care how much money you're making, you can't spend any of it. You're just sitting in a hotel room most of the time. To get there, if I'm not mistaken, they all had to sit in a hotel room by themselves for like seven days. They couldn't yeah. even go out. All they could do is play video games. And like, you yeah. love video games, man. But
1: <laughs> at some point. Yeah. You want human connection. You want normalcy, especially if you're a parent, you want you want to be able to hug your kids and people. Yeah. So you get to see that these guys are as human as as we are and want the same things that anybody else wants. They just happen to be enormously gifted and talented. Um, But I'm glad they're using their soapbox, many of them, to say, you know what? I struggle, too.
0: And, and that's, again, that's really all we can ask for. We've seen Jack Prescott come out. You obviously said uh, Kevin Love. He had a huge piece in the Players strip if I'm not mistaken, coming out about uh, struggling with mental health. So it's it's becoming more a part of the lexicon. A good friend of mine, Malcolm Lemons, he actually yeah. started um, Athletes Unheard. Awesome. So if you haven't
1: heard about him and his, and his group, yeah, it sounds like they're well, doing wonderful.
0: Sounds like I have a good introduction to make for you, Mitchell. That's a good one. He's an awesome guy. I've had him on the show a couple of times. So excited oh, to get him excited to get him on again. Um, so I guess, you know, kind of to round out the conversation, tell me a little bit about more about yourself. How long have you been? It seems like you've been doing this for a little while now. What was the reason and, and kind of how did you get into sports psychology and, and how did you then turn it into and make a career out of it?
1: Yeah. So the the quick story is I'm a New Yorker. I came down to Temple University to get my Ph.D. in clinical psych. Um, And while I was studying there, uh, I still paid attention to the New York sports scene. And there was a guy some might remember named Chuck Knoblauch, who was a player on the Yankees at that point. He'd been on a number of teams. He came to the Yankees as a former MVP in in Major League Baseball. And. uh, in due time he wasn't able to throw the ball accurately from second base to first base because of some sort of mental block he wound up resorting to having to throw the ball underhand just to ensure its safe arrival and um, uh, while we had seen other athletes steve sachs and other athletes had had this 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 was just a story that captured my attention right at the time i was studying psychology in a graduate school way and you know he eventually moved to the outfield he eventually got traded and then a few years later, he was just out of sports. He went from the best of the best to, to being out. So I always had that in the back of my mind, but I was trained as a clinician. And I think that's actually been an enormous benefit to me with my athletes now. I get a lot of people asking me for advice about kind of how can they kind of do what I do. And I there's a lot of ways to, to become a sports psychologist. But having a clinical background to me, and again, I'm biased, um, particularly though when we're talking about mental health concerns, has been just an essential piece of what I do. So I, I started out as just a, a very typical clinical psychologist. There was a point in my career where I took stock and I thought, you know, is this what I want to keep doing? I I look to the future. And in that case, it was helpful. And I said, you know, what do I, I know I could stay busy doing what I'm doing now, but this passion for sports, um, this knoblock situation always was the kind of conversation I was having with my professors, kind of before and after class. What do you think? Well, how could that happen? What's the What's a mental block? And um, I sought out uh, a guy here in Philadelphia named Dr. Michael Sachs, who's continues to be a friend and mentor to mine, former head of the uh, sports psych division um, of a na- of a national organization. And um, one thing led to another. I went to a conference and I thought I could do this. I I got it. I, I get it. I, there's a lot to learn, but I know how to connect with people. I understand the mental game, and um, and the rest has been history. And I. Uh, I even have clinicians coming to me asking me because I really did. I did a 180 with my practice. It went from like working with kids on the spectrum, um, which was very meaningful work. Please understand that to, to, to developing a, a, an athlete, uh, caseload, um, that now has me kind of working with people all over the country and the world and, um, and, uh, and it's really the last thing I'll just say about it, Michael, because it's important. It's as much clinical work as it is sport work, you know, as much as I'm working with athletes. And of course, we're talking about the game and we're talking about hooping and, and, and playing, which is I love because I'm a, I'm a fanatic. Uh, it's really clinical work in many ways. It's really about how can we accept, come to terms with our own failures and our own, and our own weaknesses, if you will. How can we become more self-aware? Why are we doing this? How, how do we find joy? Uh, what gives us peace. Um, so, uh, so I do, I do love it. I still get to, you know, be a, be a clinician and I love that it's a bit of a high wire act. You know, you work with somebody and that weekend they're playing and, uh, you kind of get to see what worked, what didn't work. I love that kind of intensity. Um, uh, and I love the connection I'm able to form with these athletes.
0: That is awesome. Yeah, and, and kudos to you for figuring out what you really wanted to do, right? And you wanted to work with these athletes. So you said, I can do this. I have to learn a little bit and I have to do some yeah. stuff to get there. But it was I a can
1: do this. overconfidence moment for me. I didn't have I much like, confidence, but I took, the, I took the leap.
0: That's all you got to do, man. I'm very excited. You brought it up a couple of times. So uh, give me a couple, um, couple seconds on your book, what you're writing, what it's about, when we might be able to see it come out.
1: Yeah, well, uh, fingers crossed at the end of this calendar year, um, I appreciate you're your giving me a second. So it's about managing the mind chatter, the subtitle, How athletes can and build courage, reduce doubts, and win the mental game. So it's gonna be my approach to working with athletes from at any level. I think coaches will enjoy it too. Um, who, you know, struggle to find how to get their athlete to be confident. So my the way I systematically work on on mind chatter and my approach to teaching athletes how to manage doubts, how to build courage. Um and and become more self-aware. Um, and, uh, I'm going to try to make it as hands-on story, you know, oriented as possible. So hopefully people can connect with it. And, uh, you could follow me on my LinkedIn profile and my other, my other social profiles, and I'll be putting out more information out of, out, out about it over the next few months.
0: Can't wait. What are those social profiles?
1: Well, uh, it's under my name, Mitchell Green, on on LinkedIn. That's pretty easy. On uh, on Instagram, I'm Green Psych with an e at the end of Green, G R E E N E, P S Y C H. And uh, Twitter, I'm Sports Psych, S P O R T Sports Psych. And um, if you find me there, you'll eventually be able to work your way over to my Facebook page, where I have a Green Psych Sports Psychology Facebook page, which as we're v- I'm very active on now, you'll see a couple of posts a week. Hopefully, there's something you can connect with about winning the metal game.
0: I love it. You got sports psych on Twitter. Shout out. That's incredible. <laughs> How
1: you the heck know, did you do that? It's a very good pickup. I, I, I picked it when I didn't even know what Twitter was, but I went on Twitter. Uh, it's kind of like clubhouse. Now everyone's telling me about clubhouse and I went on to see what is this. And I saw sports psych was available. It's the same idea. I don't even want I didn't even know what Twitter was, but I did grab it at the time. So yes, <laughs> that's that's my claim
0: to fame yeah kudos to you i mean twitter's been around for so long now there's no unless it's like a name a first name and a million numbers after it they're pretty much all gone at this point so (laughs) congratulations to you man well mitchell this was absolutely fantastic i will have all the links to your socials i'll put them in the show notes for everybody if you're listening on the audio version please five-star review we always appreciate those but mitchell thank you so much for your time i appreciate it and excited for people to learn more So have a great day
1: your time have a great
0: one yeah bye everybody